Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. As Christians, we are called to run the race of faith. This may seem daunting at times, but be encouraged. Jesus is in the race with us and has gone before us to be our example and give us hope and strength as we run with our eyes set on Him. And now, here is part two of Cheryl's message titled, The Faith Marathon. I remember wearing stilettos and our Sunday school classrooms were in these buses on the grass in Vista. And I was wearing stilettos and they kept sinking into the grass and I was like stuck, you know? And I had this hyperactive son that liked to push people over and sit on them, kids. And so I'm trying to get to him, but I'm stuck. You know, because my heel is, and Brian came up to me and said, thank you for aerating the soil. It's great. Now we can put the seeds in. But it's hard to run in stilettos, if not impossible, but it's just as hard to run in construction boots. You just can't run because they're just too heavy. And that's what these weights are that we sometimes start collecting. Now, weights can be selfish indulgences and unedifying things, but they can be like activity, they can be objects, but they can also be attitudes. And when David was in exile from Saul, he got so angry at this man named Nabal. He was having this great big sheep shearing party and everybody knew that at a sheep shearing party, you invite the whole community. There's tons of food, tons of fun. And David and his men had protected Nabal's flocks for a whole season. And now it was sheep shearing time. And so David sent a servant to Nabal and said, we're gonna be coming to your party. Can't wait. And Nabal was so angry and he sent a message and said, don't bother. You're you're nothing. You're not important. You're like a flea. You know, I'm for Saul. Don't, Don't come to my party. David was so angry because he had invested in Nabal's flock. He had taken care of them. His men had risked their life for this flock and Nabal was not following sheep shearing party etiquette. And so David said to his men, he said, Mount up, God help me if Nabal isn't dead by tomorrow. And he came with the troops to take Nabal and the sheep sharing party down. But Abigail, Nabal's wife, heard about this. And she said to the servants, get all the food together. I'll go out to David. I'll pacify him. She met David with lots of food. Smart woman. In fact, she's called a wise woman. Always meet a man with food always meet a man with food. My mother said, if you don't have any food, just put an onion in some olive oil and get it cooking so they think there's food. 
when they ask for dinner, I don't know, I'm still being imaginative, but I've got this much. But when she met David, she said to David, she reminded David of the promises of God and said to David, you don't want Nabal on your record. You don't want this weight. Someday you're going to be king and you don't want this weight. You don't want this mistake that that you went and you avenged yourself because all of God's promises are going to come true. But this would only be a blight. Like David lost his temper. David can't be trusted. She said, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning Concerning you, and is appointed to you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. In other words, she was saying, David, you don't want this weight on your record. You don't want this. Weights are unedifying, they just don't help us in the race. They don't do anything for us, but slow us down. Then we're to lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Isn't that amazing? So easily, like without effort, just traps you, just holds you, and and you can't go on. Proverbs 14.34 says, sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is a trap that binds and holds and keeps someone back. Both weights and sins keep us from being able to advance and participate in the marathon of faith. We need, because of these weights, because of these sins, because this is a marathon, we need to put ourselves 100% under the tutelage of the great coach. He said, looking unto Jesus. This is what we need to do. How can we avoid the sins and the weights? We're going to look unto Jesus. Why? Why, Jesus? Because he is the ultimate winner. He is the ultimate champion. That word author means arpegos. It's Greek, captain, champion, winner, Initiator, the one that first won the race, the one that first ran it and won. Um, as I was studying for this, I was looking up all sorts of you know success stories and famous coaches. And you know, I'm looking famous coaches. I Google everything. My son always says that won't work. I'm like, watch this, famous coaches, and boom, it pops up. And Brian said to me, Cheryl, forget that. Just Google John Wooden. That's all you need, John Wooden. So I did. So John Wooden was born in 1910. He went to the University of Indiana, but when he was a young boy, 
He loved basketball. He played and played and had heroes. And he would love to go to games and watch his, his favorite players and what they did right and what they did wrong. When he was only six years old, he could make four out of five free throws from the free throw line. It's just amazing. I played basketball in high school and college. So those free throws are like amazing. He made All-American three times at Purdue University. And then he went on to coach the Bruins at UCLA. And he did something amazing. In his, he won 10 NCAA games. No other team in history has won no college team has ever won 10 NCAA games. Four, that's like the year you're like, we're women. Tell us something about flowers. He won the floral award for basketball <laughs> 10 times. That's just never done. Other colleges have won it four times, but 10 times. It was interesting because one player quit because he said John Wooden was too hard on the players. But Lou Alcinders, also known as um, Abdul-Jabara, he said, Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabara, he said he was the best coach he ever, ever had. But the reason he respected him is he knew John Wooden knew the game and had won it and been a champion himself. So we look to Jesus because he's the author, the Arpegos, and the finisher of our faith. He is the champion. He's the hero. He initiated. He started our faith. He's the reason for our faith. He is the course. And then he said, we need to look unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right-hand throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Jesus went through worse than you could ever go through. In fact, we sing that song, he was forsaken, that I might not be forsaken. He did all of this for us. He is the finisher, the teleotes the perfection of the course, the one who did it perfectly. So we look to Jesus, not only as an example, because sometimes we can look at Jesus as an example and say, oh, I need to be more like Jesus. We put the WWJD bracelet on and, you know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Let me tell you, you're not Jesus. That bracelet will kill you. It will become a weight and a snare only Jesus. And it's only by the power of Jesus flowing through us. So see, we look to Jesus. Yes, he did it. That's why we can put ourselves completely under his tutelage. That's why we can listen to him. That's why we can obey him. That's why we follow his directives because he's the author and the finisher. I was talking to this one woman and um, she's saying, oh, you know, if everyone you pray for is not healed, then either they lack faith or you lack faith because Jesus healed everyone he touched 100%. And I looked at her, I said, you're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. It's not gonna happen. It's not, I said, see, there's no other Jesus. There is one Jesus. Even Paul, 
You think you're better than Paul? Paul had a thorn in his flesh. You think you're better than Timothy who went through all that persecution? And Paul said, you know, put a little wine with your water because of all your afflictions. We're not better than these saints. Jesus is the only one who could heal with 100%. Jesus is the only one. We are not Jesus. How are we healed? How are we touched? We look unto Jesus. We follow Jesus. Oh my goodness. If I could mess it up by a wrong confession, if I could mess it up, if it was dependent on my faith and not on the greatness of Jesus, you know what? I'd be so discouraged and weary in my soul. But I can look to Jesus. I look at his story of love and humility, his goal, the joy that was set before him, what he saw in you, what he saw in me, the hope that he had for us, the potential that he saw in us as the body as a whole, heaven and all he has for us, his accomplishment. He endured the cross. He despised the shame, the association with sin. He endured such hostility from sinners. We look to him for strength. He is at the right hand of the Father. He knows what we need. He prays for us. He makes intercession. He sends the Holy Spirit to give us all that we need. Whenever we stop looking to and considering Jesus, we will become weary and tired of running. Do you ever get tired of activity? because you don't see progress. I mean, I don't know about you, but as you get older, the routines, does everything have to be a routine? Yeah, there's always a new, I wear contacts, I've got a routine. I wear makeup, I've got a routine. I use moisturizers, I've got a routine. Everything is like this routine. I, and you know, like, and it's all gotta be in this order. My daughter is an esthetician, skincare specialist. Mom? you need to wash your face with this. Then you need to tone your face with this and a clean pad. And then mother, apply the moisturizer like this. It's like, you know, doesn't that work? She's like, no, mom, routine. But you know, sometimes I don't see progress. I, I look in the mirror, I see a 59-year-old. I've been using these moisturizers. I supposed to see a 25-year-old. <laughs> and you know, I'm tempted to quit because it takes time. And flossing your teeth, seriously? That takes so long. Then I realized I was doing it wrong. The lady says, you know, show me how you floss your teeth. So I, sh I showed her and she's like, that doesn't do any good. I'm like, what? She's like, no, no. You go, mm, one down, mm. She said, you're trying to make the holes on each side of your tooth bigger because then it makes your gums grab onto your tooth so you don't get gum disease. I'm like, oh, great. That's gonna take me longer. You know, I get this goal, and I have to say my goal is off in my bed. My bed is my goal. I get out of it in the morning going, I can't wait to see you again. <laughs> and you know, my routines are the impediments. It's the weights between me and my goal of my bed. You know, the flossing, the brushing, the taking out of the contact lenses and putting them in the right fluids. I'm making sure they get in the right case and the left case because you get them in the wrong sides and, well, you got problems the next day. 
I accidentally slept in them one time and thought I was healed, but that's another story. <laughs> but you know, it's like, oh. And when we don't see progress, we often want to stop. You know, we're like this. We diet for two days, don't see any progress, and we want to quit the diet, right? We start an exercise routine, and we haven't lost inches after doing it one time, and we want to stop. But it's the consistency and the constancy. And unless we look to our coach who's cheering us on, we will become discouraged and weary in soul. Is this really doing anything for me? And those Hebrews were saying, is this really doing anything for us? We're going through all this persecution. We're going through all this hardship. Is it really working for us? Will we really be able to endure? Are we headed towards a goal? We have to look to Jesus again and again and again for the strength, for the direction, for the motivation. I remember when my parents came to visit us in London. And again, I, I could get into pity parties really easy every time they would come to London. And I, I love, I love, 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 love my dad. And I love, 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 love my mom. I was like the type of kid who just the thought of disappointing my mom and dad would make me cry. I just loved my mom and dad. I remember one time the teacher was holding the whole class later in school because we had been talking and I just fell apart. Third grade just started sobbing because I saw my mom out in the car just waiting for me. And one day a week, my mother would buy a candy bar at Alpha Beta and we would split it. And one week she got to pick it out and the next week I got to pick it out. And all I could think of is her in the car waiting, thinking, where is Cheryl? Not knowing that Cheryl had gotten in trouble for talking and was having to stay five whole minutes after class. Poor mom. You know, and that was just, I just loved my mom. And the hardest part of moving to England was leaving my mom and dad. And I was there, I was homeschooling my children, and every time my parents would come over, it was just wonderful. It was just, it was heaven on earth. It was so fun. We would pick out places that we wanted to take them so my dad could pay for us because we couldn't afford it otherwise. And just all sorts of fun spots. I would pick out the best coffee place to take my mom to. And when they would leave, it would just be like my soul was ripped out. And all four of my kids and I, we would cry for days. We would just cry. And I remember this one time that my parents had left and I just said, Lord, tell me, tell me why we're doing this again. Why are we here so far from my parents? Why? And I was in my personal devotions in Colossians chapter three and I opened it up. And when I read this, in verse four, and when Christ who is our life. And it, it was, I'm doing this because the Messiah is my life. He's the reason I live and breathe and I came to planet earth. It's for the Messiah. And somehow looking unto Jesus at that moment, realizing that my life was in Jesus, it made it worthwhile. It took the pain and it made it purposeful. It, it made it worth something. 
What is the sound of one hand clapping? <laughs> Corey Tinboom said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Looking unto Jesus. Asaph, who wrote Psalm 73, was looking at the world and he was beginning to slow his pace. He said, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. And then, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph, Asaph. This, this great psalm writer, this great singer at the tabernacle, he said, you know what? I almost quit the race. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, he got his eyes on the wicked. He got his eyes on the world and he said, really, is it worth it? And the discouragement and the weariness in his soul began to set in until he went into the sanctuary, until he got a good look at Jesus. And then when he got a look at Jesus, he said, you know what? I'm not in the slippery place. My enemies are in the slippery place. I'm in such a better place because I've got the Lord. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In order to run this marathon of faith, we need to continually be looking unto Jesus. He is our goal. He is our objective. He is our champion. He is our coach. He is our strength. He is our power. Now, a coach invests in his disciples. A coach puts his time, he puts his energy, he gives them all his tricks, all his wisdom. He imparts all of his knowledge, all of his experience to his team, to those who are put under him. So the Lord Jesus is investing in us. His time, his wisdom, his skill, his attention, and he's watching us. There's not a coach in the world who doesn't exercise discipline over his team without restrictions, repetitions, practices, correction, consequences. There will never be change or improvement. Discipline is to make a player better and to bring him to his highest potential. Sometimes the best way to learn is by suffering the consequences of a wrong move or of a sin. I met Muhammad Ali years ago at a banquet we were both at, and he came right up to me, and he said, I'm not going to hell. I said, okay, good. No, I'm not going to hell. And then he took out a book of matches. He said, every time I get tempted to sin, I light one of these, and he lit it. And he's holding this match. He goes, and then burn myself. And you're like, ha ah. He goes, because hell will be much worse than that. And then he walked away. People say, do you think he was saved? I don't know. I just know, don't play with matches. 
Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, when Solomon was speaking to his son about the way of wisdom and therefore preparing his son for the throne, exhorted him not to despise chastening. Don't hate it. Don't resent it. Accept it and use it to change. My mom used to quote this proverb. It's Proverb 1.8, and she would paraphrase it. But if I did that typical, you know, seven years old and up phrase, I know, I know, I know, I know. She would say, Cheryl, a fool hates instruction. She got me there. I didn't want to be a fool. So I would listen because I didn't want to be called a fool. I didn't want to be thought of as a fool, especially by your mother. I didn't want to be no fool. So I would listen to get me every time with that one. Cheryl, a fool hates instruction. The author of Hebrews encourages us to run the race of faith and avoid the sins and weights that can entangle us. But how are we to do this? By looking unto Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the reason and sustenance for our faith. He is the ultimate winner and champion. He ran it first and won it when he willingly endured the cross and suffered the punishment and shame for our sins. He did this all for us. We weren't meant to live this life in our own strength. Jesus is near, so remember to look to Him. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at how to finish the race as we continue our series, Our Great Faith, in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.